Okay. We're back. We took a little break. We took a vacation. We took a little holiday vacation. I was celebrating uh, regular white holidays, and Bomb was celebrating Hanukkah. But we both celebrated New Year's, and we're back. We're back. I think the Jewish New Year is different, though, than the regular white New Year's. Is, am I correct, Bomb? Yeah, it's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, a beautiful holiday. When, when is Rosh Hashanah? Is that September? I knew that. I knew that. And um, this New Year's was a little rough for me, these holidays. You know, it was the first holiday without my mom. You know, my mom died in April. And then my father died in last week. Yes, I'm dealing with a lot. And I still came to do the Raw Report. That's what this is. This is the Raw Report. Hi, I'm Dice Raw. And with me always is Bomb. Bomb prefers to stay off camera due to his political influences and different connections. He also likes to use a code name. Um, there's usually someone else here. Due to COVID, COVID-19, my political analyst and correspondent, Brett Goldberg, will not be available today. You know, I don't know why I just called him Goldberg. His name's Goldman. I'm thinking of Adam Goldberg. Shout out Adam Goldberg. Biggest show on fucking TV, Go Burks. Keep getting money. Philadelphia, Philadelphia guy. But yeah, but Brett's got COVID. Brett decided to go to Mexico during the biggest and most dangerous spike we've had yet. We're having a very dangerous spike in something that they're calling the Omicron. Omicron. But you know what? I'm not surprised. Because when I saw that it was an African variant, I knew that white people were going to be running for the hills. And they were going to be very scared. Because anything that comes out of Africa, white people are very, very afraid of. Very afraid of. And Brett, he chose to risk it all for a week on the beach. And I saw the pictures. Brett, Brett I saw the pictures. They look great. Almost looks like it's worth it. But my dad... My poor dad, my, oh my God, I love my dad so much too. It's so sad. He just wouldn't listen. This guy was on his way to Mexico too for the holidays. Everybody, every, every year my dad goes away to a fabulous vacation. I never go with him now. He usually goes away on a fabulous vacation with my sisters. I have two sisters and we'll get into that later. You know, I, I think I'm going to make this whole episode about me, Bob. I'm going to give the people a little insight into what it's like to live the life of Dice, especially in the last... I don't know, eight months, eight, nine months. It's been an absolute nightmare slash roller coaster. It's almost like the kind of thing where you start to understand why people are running around with Kleenex boxes on their feet outside and, you know, they're acting crazy. You know, you get you get where the, the mental breakdown, you know, the snap, you, you get it. You start to understand these things. And... um you know, it's been it's been a while, yeah. So I think I'll give you guys a little bit of insight on what it's like to be me. It's, you know, because uh, a lot of people always say, "Oh, Dice, you have the best life. You have the greatest life," and I do. <laughs> I did. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. You know, what I'm saying now the whole dead parents thing is is new to me. And, and and you know, I guess if you're if you're lucky, I mean, you get to bury your parents, or you know, because um, they don't want to bury you. So that's the other thing. It's like you know, either your parents die, and you're you're sad. Or they're extremely sad because 
you know, I don't know. Most people say it's unnatural for a parent to bury the child. It's unnatural. It's not the natural progression of life. And then, um, and in, in the insights of giving you guys a look into my life and who I am, you know, I've also been on a journey. Some may say a um, spiritual journey. You know, my mom died in April. My dad died last week. New Year's Eve. It's crazy. I leave the house. I'm in a great mood. I don't think my dad's going to die. He just was on his way to Mexico two days before that. So I think he's going to be okay. I talked to him. He says, oh, yeah, you know, I'll be out next week. They're going to do a procedure, yada, yada, yada. So I get in the car, drive to the supermarket. You know, I got my grandmother. It's her 93rd New Year's. She's, she smokes cigarettes and eats fried chicken. She's 93 years old. You know, I don't, you know, some girls got all the luck. You know what I mean? Um, and... Uh, so I leave the house. I'm in a good mood. I'm going to buy some champagne. I'm going to buy some, you know, some fish. You know, I'm doing some, you know, I'm cooking everything because I like to cook, right? So I'm cooking everything. I'm in a good mood. I leave the house. I come back. I'm in a horrible mood. They just told me my dad died right before I pulled into the driveway. And um, I come in the house and my grandmother, she says, what's the matter with you? Because I, I take care of my grandmother. So she said, what's the matter with you, boy? I said, uh, my mom, I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, they just called me from the hospital and told me that my dad just died. And she was like, oh. Now, this is a 93-year-old woman. She's like, oh, that's so sad. She's like, he was a good man. I said, yeah, he was. He was, my mom. And she said, he was a good daddy to you. I was like, that's that's true. He was good. He was a great dad. He couldn't ask for anything more. She's like, mm-mm-mm, poor Carlos. She just shook her head. And then she said, can you play the four horse at Aqueduct? And she was dead serious. Like, she really went from saddened death to, could you play the four horse at Aqueduct? My grandmother, she likes horse races. And I mean, the horse races, they trump anything. But somebody said, Dice, did you play the horse? I said, yeah. <laughs> I played it, you know. It's my grandmother. She wants, she wants the horses. She likes the ponies. And when you're 93, though, you just got to think about it. I think you process death a little differently than someone that's maybe half your age, you know? Um, well, more than, she's actually more than half my age, um, 93. But when somebody's seen that many people, I mean, it's basically everybody she knows. His is dead. I mean, everybody she grew up with is dead. My grandfather, he lived to be 90 years old. He's dead. You know, her little sister was 88. You know, she just died. You know, uh, her daughter died. You know, it's like, so people were like, well, Dice, I can't believe your grandma was, she asked you to play a racehorse right after your father passed away. This is, that's, that's crazy. And I said, listen, we live in a crazy world. She's 93. She's 93. The horse didn't win, you know, but. Uh, and you know, and then she didn't stop asking too. She she kept asking me. You know what I'm saying? She it, it never really sunk into her like, oh, it, you know, Carl, you know, his dad just died. She called me Bert, by the way. So she's like, Bert, bet the four horse at Pops Casino. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I, I like betting the horses. Sometimes she wins. Anyway, you know, but the death part is a huge, huge thing. You know, and I think a lot of people they process death. I mean, I guess differently. I don't know if they process it the right way or the wrong way, but I, I would say, and this is my own personal take on this, that I think we process death incorrectly, you know, 
in America or the Americas or, or uh, you know, uh, we're, we're Western civilization, right? Bomb. Yeah, okay. Western civilization, we've got it all screwed up. And I think Eastern, the Eastern guys, I think they got it figured out, you know? I think they got it figured out. You know, it's not like this, you know, this, it, well, it's whatever you want it to be. And I think, you know, my mother and my father, they were such good parents that they deserve to be mourned, you know. But in other cultures, I, I do see, in some cultures, it's more of a celebratory thing. It's like, hey, you know, the life is not even in this body anymore. It's gone to a different place. It's gone to be with other ancestors. And this is a this is a triumph of a, of a person who's lived an amazing life. And they're finally going on to their next chapter because it's almost like death is... If for them, it's not even death. It's the next thing. It's like, okay, this was a thing. This was great. Now we're going to the next thing. And, you know, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. And I, and I think for the most part, Christians and Muslims and people who have religious beliefs, and they, 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 the person who passes, they go somewhere else that's supposedly better than what's already here, you know. Um, heaven is supposed to be better than earth, you know, like the, the, the cheesesteaks in heaven are supposed to be better than the, the cheesesteaks down here, you know. The pussy in heaven is it's, it's, supposed, it's heavenly, you know what I mean? It's, it's heavenly pussy. I mean, you know, and I think about, you know, like all the things that are probably better in heaven that down here are still good, but up heaven, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Like, you know, when I think about, you know, we lost so many people this year, not just my parents, but, you know, the same week my mom died, DMX died, you know. And I think about poor DMX and how he was addicted to crack. But, again, the crack in heaven is probably better. He's getting better crack now. He's the best. A1, A1 Palico, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that good crack, you know. It's heavenly, heavenly crack. I mean, if that's what you want because it's there. But then you have to think about it like, Okay, um, do you need crack in heaven? You know what I'm saying? Do you still want to get high? When you get to heaven, do you still want to do some of the shit that you used to do down here on earth? I mean, if it's crack, if it's heroin, if it's, you know, syrup, you know what I mean? If you, if, you know, this pimp C, is he, is, he, is he still pouring up in heaven? Like, does he, does he still want to pour up in heaven? You know what I'm saying? And I just pray Pimp, I know Pimp C's in heaven. Because there's a heaven for a gangsta, gangsta, gangsta. Oh! But anyway, I love Pimp C. And Master P, you know what I'm saying? Master P, Pimp C. There's nothing like those Master P, Pimp C collaborations. You know what I'm saying? Those shits was hot. Those shits was fire. But anyway, you know, I really think that death, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because, I mean, we have proof of, life but do we have proof of death i don't know you see somebody's there and then they're not there you know the mind is there the spirit's there the soul is there everything's there and then they're not there so it's almost like they did go somewhere you know and i remember riding in the car with my mom when she was really really sick you know, her cancer had, you know, metastasized and, 
you know, and she she didn't want to go to the hospital. I think she already knew. She she knew what was going on. She's like, ah, I don't want to go to the hospital. She's like, I just want to go home and smoke some weed. She's like, Do you got any weed? And I was like, Yeah, I got weed. She's like, Look, let's just go home. And let's get high. So, but at one point, I feel like she kind of was getting closer to the other side, and she said that she saw you know me on the other side. She's like, Yeah, I, I was just at a place. It was a really bright light. And she said, I saw this bright light, and I was like, Mom, we got to go to the hospital. When she started talking to bright light stuff, and uh, she said, no, but you were there, and I see, I saw your face. And I was like, huh, now that's interesting, you know, because I'm still alive. But she just had a bright light experience from, and that's all I know about those transitional periods of people who said they, at least from YouTube videos where you go on and say somebody's had a near-death experience. They say, oh, I saw the light. There was a bright light. And a lot of people say they, they saw the bright light. Um, so that, that, that's an interesting thing. And, um, but the other thing is to let you guys know, my dad had another family and, um, they did not know about me, but I knew about them. I had two sisters this whole time. And one of my sisters, I mean, she's one of the biggest black publicists that ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, she does some amazing work, has some amazing clients. I'm not going to get into that now because I don't think she wants me to share yet. But, you know, I've I've known about these beautiful women. I have these two beautiful black women who I've known about, and they kind of got like a ton of bricks dropped on them during the whole your father's dead thing, you know. And uh, But they've taken it very gracefully, and uh, we're, we're kicking it. So I lost, you know, my mom. I lost my father, but I've gained two sisters, two amazing, beautiful women. And, you know, I, you know and I, they, I think one just broke up. What a relationship, and she told me that her, the guy's name, and uh, it sounded like a white name. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure he was white, but you know, when I think about my sisters, I want my sisters to date white men. You know, I want them to be equal opportunity lovers. You know what I'm saying? I kind of want my sisters to stay away from people like. I don't know me. I don't want my sister dating anybody like me, okay? I want my sister dating nice gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? So if there's any nice gentlemen out there who watch the podcast, who look at a date, a beautiful, educated black woman, um, I, I can't make any promises, but I am, you know, I am looking for that, that rich gentleman uh, to marry one of my sisters. I am. So I, and I'm keeping an eye out for them. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what you do as a big brother. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm the oldest, too. So... You, you you watch over your little sisters and you make sure they're going in the right direction. And white men, I am accepting applications from you. Do not think that I am not accepting applications uh, for my sisters from white men because we're equal opportunity over here. And white men, you got a chance to get this, get some of this cocoa. You got a chance. Asians too, because I love golf. What Charlie Woods is doing out there, he's blowing people away. Charlie Woods and Tiger Woods, they're... they're, they're Captivating America's hearts, one golf tee at a time. God bless him. And they thought Tiger wasn't coming back, too, because he he uh, got into that little fender bender. But he's always getting into trouble, Tiger. Tiger, you're always in trouble. Anyway, my dad loved golf. We're going to get into that, too. My, he was a golf champion. A lot of people don't know that, you know what I mean? Which is why, you know, they say it's all about the bloodline. You know, it's all about the bloodline when you're talking about greatness. You know, my father was an executive for years at, at, at Chevron and... He did amazing things and uh, training people in safety and, you know, golf. He won so many golf championships. He was a golf maniac. 
And um, and that, that's why I'm pretty good at golf, too. A lot of people don't know that. I'm pretty good with the club. So if you ever want to come out on the course with me, you come on out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, my uh, The club I belong to is very um, – it's a private club, but I, I may be able to get you an invitation to join if you have your ish stuff in order and you're you know, a prominent member of society. I may be able to work something, work something out for you. I can't make any promises. But my father loved golf. And, um, and like, so I said, you know, I got these two beautiful, uh, intelligent sisters, and I'm, I'm very impressed with them. I sat down with them. I had a conversation with them. We had lunch. And um, I'm excited about that part. So I'm sad about, you know, my dad dying. I'm sad about my mother dying. And my mother, she never knew that I had two sisters. I never told her. I knew, she knew that I had one, but she never knew it was two. She knew it was two. She would have, you know, she would have still got mad at my dad. Forty years later, she would have got mad at him still. That's how women are. You know, they, they can get mad any time they want. Like, even if the thing happened, even before you met them, before you met them, they can be mad that you had sex with somebody even before you met them. Yeah, I mean, so anyway... My father was on his way to Mexico, and he had to go to an emergency room for an emergency stuff. And, you know, the more I learn about the emergency room and the more I learn about, you know, medical and, and cancer procedures and, you know, the, the, thir- the three people who I knew had had cancer that I really cared about, Rich being one, my mom being second, my dad being third. Um, and I only put it in that order because that's the, in the order that they uh, passed away. But I saw these people become almost victims to the medical system. You know, this, the, the, you, you put somebody in a hospital and, you know, the, they just started this big guessing game. And no one really knows what they're doing. And then you're talking to people who who look like they were in high school to a certain degree. And they're like, oh, hello, I'm your doctor and I'm here, da 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 and it's like, oh, okay, well, you probably, you're my doctor, but you just graduated. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, the doctors don't really get it. I mean, you know, at one point the guy told my mom, he said, hey, you're lucky. He said, had your cancer been here, you know, had, it, had your cancer been here, then it would be an issue. But see, it's here. So you're lucky that it's here and not here. We'd be having a different conversation if it was here. 30 days later, she still died. So it's like, how do you come into a room and really fix your mouth to say you're lucky when you really have no clue? And, you know, and I took that home and I went home and I said, okay, that's a win. You know, the cancer is here and and I'm not no doctor. I don't really understand the whole medical thing. The cancer is here, but it's really here. Um, So but if it was here, you'd be fine. But since it's here, um, you you have a glimmer of hope. That's what he gave us. He gave us hope, false hope. You know what I mean? And he should have done that. Had he been a, uh, older than 10 years old and practicing medicine, he probably would have knew that some things he probably should shut the fuck up about. You know what I'm saying? The, the thing about it is, in the medical industry, then my dad used to always say this too. He says, Bob, he would say, what do you call a person and I'm going to ask you, what do you call a person that graduates at the top of their class, medical school? What do you call them? Uh, valedictorian? No, no, no. no. What, what's their, what do they have? A de- once they have the degree, you go to their office to graduate at the top of their medical field, you call them? Doctor. Doctor. You call them doctor. 
Now, what do you call a person that graduates medical school but at the bottom of the class? Doctor. Doctor. So whether you got A's, all A's, we call you doctor. Now, whether you got C's and D's, now I don't know if they give D's in medical school, but the medical school equivalent of a D or a C, they still call you the same thing. They still address you as as doctor. It's, it's, it's doctor. And that's the thing that gets tricky because I don't I don't want to see the medical degree hanging on a wall. I want to see your report cards. I want to see a doctor's report card. What kind of grades did you get? You know, your first year and then your last year. Yeah, you know, I want to check in the middle too. I just want to I want to check in on you and see how you were doing through the whole the whole process. And without that kind of clarity, I mean, people are getting killed out there. I mean, people are dying on operating tables. And you know, and listen, I think it takes a lot of courage to be a doctor. It's not an easy feel. It's not an easy you know, thing to do, especially to be a surgeon. I mean, it's one thing if you're, you know, checking somebody's ears, nose, and throat, and then you write them a prescription for, you know, amoxicillin and send them on their way. There's another thing if you're cutting somebody's stomach open and, and then you're taking shit out and then putting shit in, and you, you take somebody's heart out and then you put a robot heart in. I mean, if you got C's and D's, I don't want you to fuck with my robot heart. I mean, I want somebody that's got A's. I want a, I want an A-plus guy. You know what I'm saying? Where are the A-plus guys? I mean, do, they, do doctors keep their report cards on hand for people like me who want to see this stuff? I want to see your report card. That's what I want to do. If you are a doctor and you want to gain trust, the best way to do that is to show as many credentials as you can. Because you could graduate at the top of the class, and they call you doctor. And then you could be getting F, 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 and somehow still pass because you kiss your teacher's ass, and now you're in a medical field. Ah! And you got all bad grades. And stuff like that happens. People say, oh, Dice, there's no way anything like that can happen. And hell yeah, stuff like that can happen. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this uh, Holmes case. Are you familiar with Holmes? What's her first name? Elizabeth Holmes, the blood box. Did we talk about her before? I feel like we've talked about this. I've been talking about blood box ever since that bitch got busted. Elizabeth Holmes, you are a dirty girl. Oh, yeah. You play dirty. Dirty girl games. She's got this fucking thing called Theranos. It was a blood box. And people were testing their blood, um, diabetic patients and people who had serious illnesses. And she was getting misinformation and profiting from it. Lying to the patients, lying to investors, lying to everyone. And at the end of the day, I got to ask myself, she probably was lying to herself. And she, I mean, Bob, I mean, you could tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the number was in upwards of $900 million in profits that was being generated from this blood box. That was his nickname, the blood box, the BB. And Elizabeth Holmes is running around here slinging blood boxes, false information, 
lying to investors and still somehow managed to get up to $900 million in revenue. Or maybe it was, uh, maybe it's not revenue, but it was uh, projected growth or funds or, you know, something fancy, you know, fancy in a financial world. She was doing something and the, the bucks were rolling in. Investors were throwing their money. And that's probably what it was. It probably was a startup. And it probably was, they had a uh, manager under their portfolio, probably bought a half a billion dollars, a half a billion, something stupid like that. And it was all a lie. It was all a lie. That when we have people like that running around, it's hard to believe that some of these people are not in the medical field. Like some of these people are just in the medicine just to make money because it's such a lucrative business. Then when we start putting the bucks before the bodies, I think we've lost our way. And how do we get our way back? How do we find our way all the way back from the rabbit hole, from the depths of the rabbit hole, back to the surface where we can walk around and greet each other the way they used to do it back in the day? And you see, I've been spending a lot of time with my grandmother. And the one thing that I've been coming up with the more time I spend with her, she lives with me. She's my roomie. She's my 93-year-old teenager. The one thing I come up with is they don't make people the way they used to. And, you know, they used to say, oh, they don't make bread the way they used to. Oh, they don't make clothes the way they used to. Oh, they don't make cars the way they used to. Oh, they don't make light bulbs the way they used to. Oh, they don't make paper clips the way they used to. Oh, they don't make curtains the way they used to. They don't make concrete the way they used to. They don't make trash cans the way they used to. They don't make hot dogs the way they used to. They don't culture and manufacture produce the way they used to. And you know why? Because they don't make people the way they used to. I'm nothing like my grandfather. I'm nothing like my dad for all that. And they tried to teach me. They tried to teach me how to get up on the roof and walk around and retar my own roof. Yeah, they tried to show me that. I didn't take it in. Yeah, they took me out to mix cement. And you took the sand and the water and the cement out the bag. And you mixed the cement. And you finished your own basement. Because that's the kind of guys these guys were. And you know, my grandmother and my mom, they would make their own biscuits and their own baked confections at home. They'd make... Triple layer cakes, and the shit would have coconut icing on the outside. It's shredded coconut and chocolate cake with strawberry shit in the middle of it. Storeboard stuff, stuff that you only can get from a store if you purchase it. You know, they'd make Sunday dinners. You know, my grandfather would fix the washing machine, the dryer, the refrigerator, and it'd be broke one minute, he'd come in, he'd do something to it, and it'd be working. Then he'd go down the street, he fixed the neighbor's washer and dryer. Then he'd go around the corner, he fixed one of his mistress's washer and dryer. And then, then he'd go fix a couple for money. And then he'd, then he'd come home, you know? They don't make people the way they used to make people. And we're running out of these guys. These great men, these great women that were the fabric of society, that held us together to glue the matriarchs of our family. And all we're left with now is the kids who don't know shit. They don't know shit. I mean, sure, we know how to go out. We know how to make a living. And 
We can make money, but I mean, can you tar your own roof? I mean, can, can you do that? Can you can you take some sand from a truck outside and mix it with a bag of cement and some water and then finish your own basement? I mean, this is the type of shit these guys used to do. I mean, my grandfather, I mean, he was 75 years old. He would climb up on top of roofs and fix them. We're back. We're back. And you know what? I, I feel like we were talking about my grandpa, my grandmom, but not just them, but like your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and they just don't make people the way they used to make them. And that's the problem. You know, like when you, like I was saying earlier, you know, nothing's the same. You you, you take a bite of something. Like I, I took a bite of um, a Hershey's with almonds the other day. Excuse me. Hope I don't have coronavirus. Shout out AOC. I'm praying for my boo. I heard she got the COVID, so pray, pray forever. Anyway, they, I take a bite of a Hershey's Kiss with almonds, and this doesn't taste the same. The, the, the quality of the chocolate is gone down. But it's not just the things or the food. It's the quality of the people. That's the problem. The people, we are not the same as them. And we didn't get any better. We got worse. We got worse. Doctors are worse. You know, <clears throat> to continue on what we're talking about, I remember Dr. Steiker. You know, I used to go see him. He used to have an office up in Linwood Gardens in Philadelphia. Dr. Steiker was a very famous doctor. Um, my mom would travel Far. We would we would have to catch SEPTA. We'd get on the bus, we'd catch the SEPTA bus, we'd we'd go all the way up Broad Street from Logan to Linwood Gardens. We'd get off the C bus. I'd go in there and I'd see Dr. Steiker. Now Dr. Steiker, he was the kind of doctor he could look at you and tell you what was wrong with you. He'd look at you and tell you what was wrong with you. He'd do blood tests. He'd do urine tests. He'd do all this stuff. But he knew, and this was because he had years of experience, not some kid who's got no experience giving you a life or death diagnosis. When you go to these student hospitals, you go to Jefferson Hospital, and, you know, they, they just don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. It's all a big guessing game. In Jefferson Hospital, they killed they killed Rich. They, they did it. They killed my mom. Jefferson Hospital, the doctor's over there. But the doctor, you know, he came to me. He says, you know, he says, I was on vacation this whole time. He says, sorry. You know, you were talking to the other doctors, and I'm, I'm just getting here today. I'm, I'm figuring, he said, your mother's very sick. And I'm like, I already know that, you know. Um, it's not easy to share these stories, too. But I figured I might as well because it's the start of a new new year. It's been a very, very wild twist and turns and all kind of things happening. And it's not just me, you know, but other people as well. You know, we lost Brian Dilworth uh, earlier in uh, the COVID madness. He was one of the first people that went, very good friend of mine. And when I think about stuff uh, that brings me down, I think about his wife, 
who had uh she lost him, her husband, and she lost her father in the same seven day period. And um and she was strong. She's still strong. And and I look at that woman as as my strength because I say, look, I'm not gonna let this little white lady, you know, outdo me. You know what I'm saying? She's out here holding it down and you're sitting here crying like a little baby. You know what I mean? Shout out to Dilworth's wife. Not gonna put her name out there so people start Googling her and getting on her nerves. But um yeah, man, it's been a rough one for everybody. You know, 2020, 2021. But I think things are looking up. You know what I'm saying? I'm very excited for 2022. Um, there's a lot of things going on. Biden. President Biden. Not bad. Not bad. You spoke yesterday, and I was very concerned because I was in the market. You know, like, like I predicted, my, all my predictions come true, the stock market is definitely... Uh, tanking it's, it's it's fudging up down there especially the tech the tech side of things but biden he came out the other day day before was it yesterday yeah it was yesterday and he did a good job you talked while the markets were open and you didn't cause a total conundrum you know what i'm saying oh no it was the day before yesterday no 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 yeah it was yesterday and uh he's he, he doing okay biden but the republicans they're gunning for you man they're gunning for you big time so you better watch your ass man you better watch your ass but I'm rooting for you, uh, like always. I'm, I'm rooting for whoever's the president of the United States, whoever wins the elected, the elected office. Once they're in, you got to root for them. Again, I voted for Biden, so I want to see good things happen. Um, while we're on, we were on vacation, though, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Manishin or Mansion? Is that his name? Joe Manchin? Oh, yeah. yeah, Joe Manchin stepped in front of a a, a speeding bullet. And a, and a train, a speeding train. I don't know why he's doing it because Joe, I got news for you. If you are planning to run for president, you're not going to get it. After you just mess up everybody's money and uh, the infrastructure deal and the Build Back Better plan, I mean, your name is basically mud, and and you're looking like you're looking like a total nincompoop out here. You know what I'm saying? Um, I did see, I I did see another political news that Kamala got into it with Charlemagne the God. While on vacation. Did you see that, Bob? Yeah. yeah, pretty interesting stuff. You know, like, you know, when you're in this deep, we've got so many problems. We've got China up our ass. We've got inflation. We've got, you know, stagflation. We've got, you know, stocks overpriced. We've got the market coming down. And then you got this the crypto. Now, crypto is fucking up too now because, see, what's happening is, you got all these young people who, you know, buy these tech stocks. They buy the Robin Hoods. They buy the Coinbase. They buy the Cryptos. They buy the the Shiba coins, the Doge coins. They buy all this stuff, right? They've never experienced a crash before. They don't know how to take it emotionally. And see, that's the thing. When when the emotions come into play, then people start doing dumb stuff. So, if your stocks are going down and you're a young guy and you're already heavily heavily into the uh, what they call the the, the 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 margin so you're already getting a margin call and now you got to sell your crypto money to cover your stocks and then you got a big problem you know that's it and the old old heads they aren't buying any of that shit they're just standing by just looking like hey uh crypto i don't understand it now my grandmother she has a very interesting take on cryptocurrencies 
she thinks that it's all a scam, and she said that people are going to lose a lot of money in it. And, you know, she's only got 100 years of experience uh, living on uh, planet Earth, so, I mean, maybe she's on to something. I, I personally think that crypto is not as bad as, you know, some older generational people think. <laughs> And that's probably because I'm like in the middle. I'm like young guy. I'm like a I'm like a fabulous. I'm a young OG. You know what I'm saying? Shout out Fab. And uh, and then speaking of fabulous, uh, there's been a big thing about how to dress at the gym, and fabulous has been wearing some snazzy outfits. And uh, I don't think his other gym buddies are enjoying his uh, fabulous outfits. <laughs> but his name's fabulous. When your name is fabulous, you gotta come looking fabulous. You know so. Hmm. But uh, a lot of stuff going on politically, you know, um, I'm very interested to see where goes Jerome Powell is speaking today. And, uh, and so far, so good. You know, I see the market ticked up a little bit, ticked up about 100, 100 points. It was down about, it was, it was up this morning, then it went down. So it's a lot of turbulence. So if you're out there and you're investing, you know, just I want you to be ready for volatility. Because, you know, yesterday the market was down 400 comes all the way back, NASDAQ I'm talking about. Then today it was up 140, then it was down 60 or down 80 even. Then it comes all the way back to being positive 180 in a matter of minutes almost. Um, so, I mean, Jerome Powell's doing this thing. Um, definitely think that there's going to be some more pain ahead. So just be careful what you're picking. And uh, and if you want any advice from me, only way only thing I can advise you on is listen to Kramer. Jim Cramer, he knows every fucking thing. So shout out Jim Cramer. Shout out CNBC, whole NBC posse. You know what I'm saying? Everybody over there at 30 Rock, the whole the whole gang, the the family. You know what I'm saying? Shout out the gang. Anyway, moving on. Um, you know, if you if you lost somebody out there like I have, and um, and I know so many people have, you know, um. I urge you to go talk to someone and maybe get some help, uh, maybe some grief counseling. I also um, praying for you as well. Um, whatever religion you are, you know, I've tried to pray to all the gods. I try not to leave them, leave any god out. You know what I mean? Um, they're all important. Um, and um, maybe we look at death the wrong way. I want you to think about that. Maybe we look at death the wrong way, you know, especially as being a black African-American. It's almost like we got like the death rule book, like, you know, you buried a person, the family cries and someone sings and then you go to someone's house and you have baked macaroni and cheese and, you know, and yams and stuff like that. And then maybe there's a fight. Maybe someone's mad. At the funeral, and you know, and, and then there's horror stories where, where people could even be grieving, and then somebody comes by and then does something to the people at the funeral, like where someone is a, a, a victim of a violent crime or a homicide, and then somebody comes and shoots up the funeral. You know, I mean, this is the kind of world we live in, and, and I just want to just take a different. I want to take a step back, and maybe we should be adopting something from. The Eastern world and and how they process death and and or even like the Mayans and uh, I, I think they thought about death differently, you know the you know culturally, and maybe it's not about hollering and falling out on the floor and having this negative energy or 
or being very angry because I mean that that's a part of it too. You know, being angry. I remember when my mother passed away. You know, the woman I was dating at the time, she she wanted me to go out. You know, on my birthday, and I wasn't in the mood. I was angry. You know, and black males, the the way that we manifest uh, sadness and 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 things that make us uh, depressed is through anger. You know, that's how, how we manifest it. Most men, but especially black males. Um, so we got to be careful. You know, I got into a big argument at the at the restaurant. I cursed the guy out. And, you know, and it really wasn't his fault. I mean, it kind of was. Yeah, it was his fault, but. Typically, you know, I let stuff like that just, I just be like, ah, fuck it, you know what I mean? Because it's so petty. But I want us to take a step back and I want us to look at death because we're, you know, it's, it's, it's not the last time that it's going to happen unless, unless you die, that you're going to experience these things and, or that I'm going to experience these things. And, you know, uh, I want to shout out Hub. You know, Hub, you know, was a member of the Legendary Roots and for years um, he was older than us. You know, we really, didn't see eye to eye on too many things in life because we were such a far generational gap. But I mean, there was some wisdom in some of the things that Hub shared with me and 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 some of the roots. I'm sure that you know um, that ring true from that old generation. And, and and I'll leave you guys with this: you ain't shit, new generation. You know, I mean, I, and me included, me included, because they don't make people the way they used to. So the ones that we still got around, we got to cherish them and, uh, and treat them as the matriarchs of the family or the neighborhood and, and, and get that knowledge while it's still there. I urge you to do that. You know, you see an old person, you know, don't rob them or, or, or stick them up. You know, maybe help them across the street the way, the way they used to do it. And then maybe, maybe you get a, a jewel of wisdom, a jewel of wisdom. And I'll leave you with one jewel of wisdom from my dad, right? And I shared the other one earlier, that, you know, the doctor thing. But my dad used to say, and this is an inspirational thing. And usually I don't do inspirational things because I try to discourage people. That's my thing. I don't, I don't like to inspire people. I like to discourage them from doing things that I think are stupid. But my dad used to say this thing. And his, his, one of his famous sayings, it was, whether you can or no, no, no. You know, I want to get it right. Hold up. I'm going to take a sip of water. One of my dad's sayings was, i take my glasses off too. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. This is the Raw Report. I'm Dice Raw. Bomb, you know what to do.